0: there's a clue if your date asks you a question about how she can hurt you. Hmm. We'll get into that. Well, good morning. My name's John. I'm uh, the lead pastor here at Grace Life. Welcome online if you're online and welcome here if you're face-to-face. You know, old school, right? When we used to do things face-to-face. Well, I'm glad you're here. That's kind of fun. So um, love that. Before we get started here, I just want to remind you about the value of our life groups. If you're not in a life group, you're missing out on the life groups. We met with ours a while ago. It's just refreshing, really, really fun, and want to go back to our core values of knowing God and his word, experiencing grace and forgiveness, growing in healthy relationships, and then impacting those near and far. That's kind of what we do here, and um, the rhythms that we experience come from those values. So if you have a rhythm of Reading God's word personally, it probably comes from a value of knowing God and his word, right? And our value of experiencing grace and forgiveness, that leads us to forgiveness and community and in our small groups and other relationships. And we, as we grow in healthy relationships, it's only natural to desire to impact those far and near. So everything comes together, and our big picture is making disciples. We want to be a disciple, and we want to make disciples. Remember, churches don't make disciples. People do. Right? We we make disciples. All right. Anyway, so just a reminder that's who we are. That's what we're about. And I'll end my pyramid scheme right now. All right. Anyway, so this is what we're talking about. We're in the book of Judges and I'm trying to trying to give you the big umbrella. So here's the big umbrella. We zoom out. What's going on in Judges? This is it. The people of God were unsuccessful against their enemies because they forgot to remember the works of God as recorded in the Word of God. or that's the covenant. They abandoned their covenant with God, entered a covenant with Baal, so God delivered them to the nations around them. So it's kind of a mouthful. I suspect that if I shut that off and handed out a piece of paper and asked you to write it down, there would be varying degrees of success and stress. Brings back the bad, bad days. So my wife and I were talking about this, and she's like, oh, it's just so many words. I'm like, it's oh, perfect. And she's like, "Well, you know, let me let me have a shot at this. This is her version." <laughs> they forgot. Okay, I think we'll go with that. So the title today is "They Forgot." All right, and that's that is appropriate. Um, love it. Anyway, seriously, instead of experiencing beauty, order, and abundance because they followed God, because they remembered God, they forgot Him, and they experienced death, disorder, and chaos because they forgot. The covenant they forgot the God of their youth and the covenant reads like this. There's there's Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26 spells it all. And um, here's a couple. Here's a verse. Well, first off, it's prefaced with a ton of blessings. If you remember me and you obey me, you're blessed in the city. You're blessed in the country. Your 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 bread bowl is blessed. Your Your barn is blessed. Your crops are blessed. Everything's blessed. But if you persist in disobeying me, and then it just gets really nasty and heavy duty and um, pretty stressful. But here's here's a passage. If you will not listen to me and will not do all of these commandments, I will set my face against you. You shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when no one's pursuing you. In spite of this, if you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. And that's repeated three times, that sevenfold, three times in about ten verses. And so I'm going to flash back here, zoom out, and, and kind of remind you of where we've been. We, we did Joshua um, a while ago, and uh, we, we saw that in the middle of that, there was this weird pattern of victories. I'll, I'll have my hand up here for victory and then defeat and victory and defeat, okay? And so there's that pattern. It seems to be very much on purpose. And so I had pointed out how Joshua 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, we have specific stories of victory, and then we have specific stories of defeat, and that all points back to the covenant. If you remember the covenant, you have victory. If you forget the covenant, you have defeat. And so this is Joshua's way of selecting the history he doesn't talk about every battle. He talks about certain battles in a certain order to highlight the importance of the covenant. So that's that was what we saw in Joshua. And so here in Judges, again, here it is. I will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. It's interesting. There's seven major cycles. You know, there's a couple minor judges. They just kind of come and go in one line. But anyway, there's seven major judges, and and perhaps that points back to the expectation that um, disobedience will result in Uh, covenant consequences. This is the whole book. It starts off very general, but the whole book is aimed to one thing. One thing Israel needs, not just a king, but a godly king. And without the godly king, the middle part right here shows that it's just a disaster. And that part, see those green things? They're not only going from left to right, but they're going from top down. It's getting worse and worse and worse as we go, and and the, the worst is yet to come. Okay, so that's kind of the the overall picture of where we're going. Today we're going to finish up Samson. Now, you you astute uh, observers will think, well, wait a minute, what happened to Jephthah? And he's going to come up next week. All right, um, bunny trail here. I'm getting a little minor surgery just. I have to have to get the surgery thing, so I'm not going to be in uh, here for a week or two. And we got some super skilled people, so I'm so excited about that. Been randy and he's gonna um, knock that ball out of the park figuratively speaking and um, so that's going to be coming up anyway that's what we're doing so all right samson is this about his success and failure or is it about god's faithfulness hmm interesting so the question is why i'll just leave that up there why, why do we have these dark four chapters i mean it's just depressing he's a train wreck right i mean you think let's go to the bible let's be encouraged and, and you're reading these chapters, and you're like, yeah, I'm not encouraged. Well, uh, your, your job, if your job is, okay, make the Bible. Here's a bunch of stories. You're like a whole room full of boxes of stories, and your job is to pick the good ones and stick them in the Bible. Make it encouraging. You know, positive, encouraging. And would you would you put Samson in this book? It's here for a very specific reason right? Very specific reason. so we're going to talk about that. Um, but how did we get here? We got here because um, the Philistines are oppressing Israel. Why are they doing that? Because they forgot, okay? So they forgot. And uh, just to head up on the Philistines, the Philistines were not like Assyria or Babylon. Assyria or Babylon would come in, conquer a nation, take it over. You are now slaves of that country and they would impose a puppet king and and do all that and then you had to pay them a tribute, which is basically just i'll give you money don't kill me this year and you do that over and over and over the philistines were like that they didn't have the resources and organization to impose themselves on other countries they just raided during harvest steal your food and then go back to your hometown that's that's how the philistines operate do you remember gideon Remember, Gideon's threshing his wheat in a cave because the Midianites would come and steal the food. Then the Midianites would go back to their home. That's the model here, okay? And there's there's political uh, reasons why that's going on, but we don't um, need to get into that. Okay, and there was great rejoicing. Anyway, so, um, so they forgot about God and the covenant. The Philistines are stealing their stuff. And now Samson is called to begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Begin is an interesting word. Remember, he starts it, but David um, finishes it. Well, okay. So the story opens up in chapter thirteen, verse three, way back there, and it says an angel of the Lord appeared to uh, Samson's parents, and and it says you're going to have a son because the Lord was at work, and He wanted to deliver Israel. So, but that creates a problem because what what we have here is. Um, the angel's announcement to Samson's mother, we, we talked about this last week, but I'm just going to review it because it sets the stage for kind of the, the confusion of Samson. Uh, the angel said he should drink no wine, he should, the baby Samson, uh, well, his whole life, not eat anything unclean, no razor shall be on his head, he shall be a Nazarite from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the Philistines. Now this Nazarite thing, we'll, we'll get into this in the middle of the, of the sermon today, but um it was usually voluntary, like you would choose to take a Nazarite vow for a limited time. Uh, he, this is different because God is saying, no, this is, I'm choosing him for his whole life. So it's it's different, all right? Um, but he doesn't even know he's a good a deliverer. So, so the question is, well, where does success come from when the people that need deliverance don't want it? They've forgotten who God is, and the, the person that's chosen to deliver them is ignorant of his mission. He doesn't even know that he is supposed to be a deliverer. When the mother announces that special revelation from the angel to her husband, she skips a couple important things. Like, oh, the part about no razor shall touch his head, and the part about delivering Israel from the Philistines sort of just slips her mind, right? And so Samson literally grows up clueless about his mission. And we see that on every page and every paragraph. He is operating out of vengeance and personal gratification with no larger picture to guide him, and that is his sad story. So, we had a wedding, and um, he goes down to Timnah to marry this Philistine woman, and uh, he scoops some honey out of a dead lion that he killed earlier, gives it to his parents, he doesn't tell them, we see that pattern of non-communication in the family, and, and um at the wedding feast, he gives a riddle. And he says, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. That rhymes in English. We're just lucky. But in Hebrew, it's different. But anyway, so it's, it's a cute little riddle. And, and they press and press, you know, his wife-to-be and says, we'll burn you to death if you don't f- tell us the answer. So she gets the answer. And they come back the seventh day and say, what is sweeter than honey? What's stronger than a lion? And he says... If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. And remember, this is his wedding day. He's calling his wife a cow. There's some issues here. Anyway, the spirit of the Lord came, and he rushed on them, and he killed um, some Philistines, 30 men, and that sets the stage for chapter 15. Okay? So chapter 15, verse 1, let's get to the text. Uh, Samson is playing with fire here. He has um, revenge problems. Chapter 15, verse 1. After some days, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. He said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, well, I really thought you hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Ouch. Is this, is not her younger sister more beautiful than she is? Well, that hurts too. But anyway, um, please take her instead. And Samson said to them, "This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm." That's in, that's interesting, right? He says, "Well, this time I'm innocent." As like, what about all the other times? You know. Anyway, okay. But and so Samson goes off. He catches 300 fox, and he t- he ties them tail to tail. I remember reading this passage like when I was like in junior high, and I'm just I just thought he took the tails of the fox and tied tails in knots, just like well, there's, how does that work? There's just like little bones in there and you can't really It just, he likely just had ropes between two foxtails and torches on the ropes, okay? Anyway, just, that's probably what he did. And then, and the word fox could also be jackal. The Hebrews kind of vague there. But anyway, catch, catching that many foxes or jackals is a big deal in itself. And then he ties the torches and they run through the standing grain and they burn all of their food. That is a big deal. And they said, who did this? They point to Samson, and they said, um, and then they burned the wife, his wife and father, with fire. So he's operating out of revenge. This is a quick picture of. You um, going to get the next picture, the next slide there of a fox. Or not? That's okay. Anyway, it's just a picture of a fox. You've seen a fox. They're little thin ears with big, um, big ears. So verse seven. We'll go on to verse seven. Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And listen to this. After that, I'll quit. Is that your experience with revenge? That once you get revenge, you're, you're like done. You're like, oh, no, that's good. I feel, that's enough. That's enough revenge, right? No, it's, it's um, we're going to see him just go on and on and on. And verse 8 is weird. Look at verse 8. And he struck them with hip and thigh with a great blow. And he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock at a tom, hip and thigh. <clears throat> That's vague. I looked it up. It's still vague. <laughs> it's just like it's one of those things. Like, well, you know, uh, th- there's an image of um, the same term shows up in Mesopotamian wrestling matches, like grappling. So the point is, he somehow went in and maybe wrestled a bunch of uh, folks there, but. I don't think he killed a ton of people. One, there's no number of, of victims like everywhere else. He killed 30 people. He killed a 1,000 people. Here, it's just he just struck them with a great blow. Now look at verse 9. The Philistines come back, and um, the men of Judah, well, the Philistines come up, encamped at Judah, made a raid on Lehi, verse 10. The men of Judah said, why have you come up? And they said, we've come up to bind Samson and do to him as he did to us. They didn't say, we've come to kill him. We've come to bound him because that's what he did to us. So whatever hip and thigh is, it seems to be some kind of uh, restriction, containment, some kind of victory it doesn't seem to be killing him. Then a verse 11, this is where things, the, the, the wheels fall off, off the cart. 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock at Tam, where Samson was, and they say, do you not know the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? Now, <laughs> just let that sink in. Okay, back up, because the, the Philistines are the bad guys, right? Samson's the good guy, keep this straight, and Samson's good guy teammates, the 3,000 men of Judah, say to Samson, the bad guys rule over us, and that's quite fine with us. Why are you upsetting the cart? Shut up. You're going to make them mad. And, and you're like, it's just it's just kind of confusing, right? And so, anyway, um, they bound him and they, they with two new ropes, and they, they haul him off, and um, this this is problematic, because 3,000 men, uh, which tribe? Judah. Do you remember, like, when we first started this series, I was trying to make a big deal about Judah and Benjamin, how Judah is awesome, is the best, and Benjamin's the worst, within the boundaries of judges, okay, I, it, it, there's other history there, but... But this, this is what I was trying to, uh, to show you, that um, um, Judah, twice, at once at the beginning of the book and what's at the end of the book, it says, Judah shall go up first. Who shall fight? Judah shall go up first. And at the end, Judah shall go up, and Benjamin kind of falls apart. And it's not insignificant that the first king, Saul, he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, Benjamin is the tribe at the end of the book that, that, that pulls the gun kill fellow israelites david is the first king of uh, the second king and he's from the tribe of judah so you have you have this kind of political undertones of judges with with who's doing well and who's not doing well okay so um but it's just it's pretty significant here that that if judah can't figure it out who can and ultimately you know we understand that salvation doesn't come through judah it comes through someone that came through judah namely jesus so those are the the broader pictures so they don't want to look to judah for salvation here's a quote all right there's the fox so yeah we'll catch up here that's good it the, the lower left i couldn't help but think of rockets on the avengers right anyway sorry um so that and now this is uh this is where i was trying to go here we got joshua judges um and then we have samuel king's chronicles now you have victory because they obeyed, and here we have failure because they compromised. That's basically the picture of Joshua and Judges, Saul from Benjamin, David from Judah, and um, next slide. That's all right. We're uh, the soundboard is dying, and and we'll uh, we'll have to replace that. Some other things, anyway. So um, we got that figured out, and that's not quite. That's a little far. from uh, Back up, that's fine. So um, we'll just leave it blank and and, uh, and move on here, and we'll get to those pictures in a bit. So the Philistines come down shouting, and again, the Lord rushes upon him, and he picks up in verse 15, he found a a what? A jawbone, but look at the description. It's a fresh jawbone. Now this is really important. When you read scripture, you want to slow down and catch things like that because you're like, why does it matter if it's a fresh jawbone? The author puts that there for a reason. It's fresh because, one, an old brittle jawbone would just shatter with the first guy he waxed with it. But, two, it's from a fresh carcass. And, and there's this Nazarite tension about not touching dead bodies. And you pick up this fresh jawbone, and we'll, um, we'll talk about that. But he says, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. With a thousand, or with one jawbone of a donkey, he killed a thousand men, and said, "There's literally heaps of bodies." In verse sixteen, and um, that place is called Ramath Lehi, which means uh, hill of dead bodies. Anyway, so um, another thing that's interesting in this book is, is you walk through. There's a whole bunch of really unconventional weapons, and in the hands of untrained people, that God leads to victory with because they have faith. Isn't this great? Remember, you have Ehud and his homemade sword that he lost, and um, then you have Shamgar with his ox go, just like a stick with a pointy end, and, and you've got um, Jael, just a woman with a hammer and a tent peg, and um, a certain woman that that just throws a millstone on on the head of Abimelech, and then you've got Samson with a jawbone. So, I think the point here is Israel is reading this. It's like God is not limited by resources. He's limited by our lack of faith. I mean, practically, right? That, that's our experience. And so um, he's faithful. He's able to deliver with anybody that trusts him. So that's encouraging. But, but this killing thing, I, I talked about it. I touched on it last week. I want to get into it again just to try to um, help with that. If you're a Nazarite, there's three things in number six that are laid out. One, you don't cut your hair. Two, you don't drink anything from the vine, beer, wine, alcohol, anything like that. And three, you don't touch any dead bodies. And the whole idea is the Nazarite is separated unto God, so you're, you're separated like, like a priest cleanliness thing, okay? But here, Samson kills a 1,000 men. He's killed 30 already, and he's killed a lion. He's killing all over the place. And it's problematic because the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him only in the text when he's killing people or things. So you've got this headache, you're like, well, wait a minute, I thought you're not supposed to touch dead things, and now the spirit rushes on him, and he only touches dead things, but he kills dead things with a dead thing, and so we're like, well, what's up with that, and um it seems that when the angel visited the mother at the beginning, she doesn't even mention anything about the corpse requirement of the Nazarite vow. She simply says, "No razor shall ever come on his head, and uh, don't drink anything from the vine." And so it seems that like God is using this person for this season for this uh, in this way, and that it doesn't necessarily apply. Remember, Samuel was a Nazarite for for his um, his whole life, which is unusual. And he kills Agag because Saul wouldn't do it. That's First uh, Samuel um, 1 Samuel 1. Uh, Hannah says, it makes a vow, if you give me a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. No razor shall touch his head. So she's, I think, thinking of that Nazarite thing. Um, but then he, he um, kills Agag. And the word there is kind of brutal in Hebrew. It li- literally means hacked to pieces, like dismembered. So he's going at it, and there's no way you do that and not get, so anyway, um, my point is he's a Nazirite, and he moves through this killing uh, like Samson. Anyway, uh, so how does Samson begin to rule? How does he, how does he rule? He rules alone, motivated by personal gratification and revenge. Think of these other judges, Ehud, Gideon, even, even, um, Jephthah, which is next week. These guys led a group of people in an organized way. They, they exercise leadership. They're like, hey, we have to do this. Let's trust God and, and do great things. And they do that. Samson's completely alone. He's operating alone. No bigger vision. He doesn't know his vision, so he, he is just, uh, he's kind of lost at that, all right? But let's take a look here and ask a couple questions. Why would God choose him from birth his entire life? He would be a Nazarite, okay? Now, remember Jesus was a Nazarene, not a Nazarite. There's differences there, okay? So, um, anyway. So, other people would look at Samson and his long hair. Samson with his long hair was supposed to obey God. And when he would obey God, he was supposed to be a walking reminder of faithfulness to the covenant. Because every time you would see Samson lead the troops with his long hair, and God do amazing things, it was a reminder that God was working through him. It's God who's the hero of the story. Samson's not the hero of the story. Even if Samson obeys and does everything great, he's still not the hero of the story. It's God who's the hero of the story, right? And so imagine a little conversation. Hey, Daddy, Daddy, that that man over there, how come he has long hair? Oh, son, well, that's Samson. And God chose him from birth to be a Nazarite, which means he will never, ever cut his hair. And as long as he obeys God, it's not like magical hair, as long as he obeys God, God works through him and he delivers us as a nation. He's a walking, his obedience and his hair were supposed to be a walking reminder of faithfulness to the covenant, calling people to be faithful to God. But he completely goes the other direction and there's no corporate challenge through Samson. Everything's individual revenge, right? So, um... We continue. He, he kills uh, a thousand Philistines, and then he starts whining. Look at the next verse. Look at 18. He was very thirsty. I guess killing a thousand people is a big deal, so he gets thirsty, right? And he calls on the name of the Lord, and look at the tone here. You've granted this salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die, now die of thirst? It's like, hey, come on, give me water. I'm thirsty. He, this, this attitude pervades, um, goes across his whole life. Pervades, I think, is the work I'm look, looking for, right? And so um, we'll, we'll pick up on that later. Kind of a whiner, right, uh, entitled. And then verse 20 is really instructive. Verse 20, he judged Israel all the days of the Philistines 20 years. Okay, you, you read that, you're like, whatever, not a big deal. Except flip over to 1631. By the way, it says page like 215 and the Bible's in front of you. So 1520 says he judged Israel 20 years. 1631 also says he judged Israel for 20 years. Um, Why is that a big deal? Because throughout Judges, there's this repeated formula for all the judges. And I'm just going to read them to you here, uh, quick like, so just listen to the formula. Tola judged Israel and died. Jair judged Israel and died. Jephthah judged Israel and died. Isben judged Israel and died. Elon judged Israel and died. Abdon judged Israel and died. Okay, there we go. And so you see the pattern here. So when we read, oh, and Samson, he judged Israel, there's this expectation, and died, except his death is completely unique. And so the whole chapter 16 is devoted to that that expectation of silence, like what happened to him? Yes, chapter 16 explains the whole mess, okay? And so... um, That is what's going on here, chapter 16. So, see if we can go on here. Great. So chapter 16, um, the book begins with potential from God, and it's ending with his potential consumed. He no longer has potential. In the middle, a bunch of problems that were his own fault, right? Riddle gone bad and revenge. And so, um, yeah, this doesn't look like a typical plan for successful deliverance of a nation, except God just does it anyway. Amazing. Okay, so chapter 16, verse 1, he goes down to Gaza, saw a prostitute, went into her. Again, just impulse control. See it, want it, act. Now, that was the same back in chapter 13. He's like, I saw a woman in Timnah. I want her. Dad, get her for me. Well, in that culture, that's not normal the dad has you know the broader vision knows what the son needs and not just some hot looking enemy from philistines like and, and so he he just has poor impulse control i saw her get her for me and now and then later i'm gonna die thirst and so he basically seems like a spoiled child that gets whatever he wants again he has no vision of me if you have a vision for your life though that creates boundaries for you and, and you become deep and powerful, unlike the Platte River, which is like four inches deep and like half a mile wide, right? That's, that's sand. He has no boundaries, and so um, without the Spirit of God, he's super weak. And then sees a prostitute and just wants what he has and takes it. Verse 2, and we've already read this, Tip read this, and so um, they threaten him to kill him in the morning, and then he goes to Gaza, and um, I was able to, hack the security system at Gaza, um, and this is some GoPro footage. Anyway, so uh, yeah, the, the gates of the city are a big deal. The gates of the city are what keep the bad guys out of your city, and so think about the metaphorically, what is he doing when he's taking the gates away from the city, leaving a gaping hole in the city wall? The city is vulnerable. I mean, they, the enemy can just walk right in, and so he's he's sort of like, you know, poking the bear. He's just like, hey, I can do this, and you guys have no protection now. Okay, because anyway, we're going to come and get you the whole the whole thing. So that's what's going on there with the um, with the city, and that is interesting. Hulls up it it miles away. Some debate about how far, but miles and miles away. Strong, strong um, feet of strength, right? In spite of his strength and his giftedness, and there are there's there's a bucket full of NFL players that fit this really well. Incredible giftedness physically, and just morally, just wow, a train wreck, right? I, mean, I won't even start going to the list because i to get out of here and have lunch eventually. But anyway, you just you just see that um, quite often. So he's addicted. He's addicted, and, um, and that is a super sad thing. So, so he flirts with disaster, and now in verse 4, disaster flirts back. And after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek wh- whose name was Delilah. Now, Delilah, um, she's a Philistine woman, and her name sounds like Lila, which in Hebrew means night. So you've got this. This whole night tension and, and metaphorically night has to do with you know adversity and you know a, a dark night of the soul that kind of thing. But anyway, so um, she comes into the picture here, and the Philistines are frustrated they say, "Give us the answer to his strength. We'll each give you eleven hundred pieces of silver. Probably the five kings of those Philistine cities. We don't know for sure, but anyway, that's a ton of money. So she could be set up for life." And basically, what's going on here is that Samson is a national security. Risk, And she holds the key to the nation. I mean, it's not just a check in the mail. It's like the, the five kings, uh, the leaders of the Philistines are asking her for help. This is her golden tip to, to elevate herself out of some weird marriage or some relationship with this guy and, and to, to move up. Okay, so she's clearly motivated by that, and it would be an amazing thing. Prestige and, and greed combined. So she sets these traps. Oh, please tell me where your strength is so that you may be bound. And he says in verse 7, 16, 7, seven fresh bowstrings that haven't been dried. Tie me up, and then I'll be weak. And she does it, and then she's like, Samson, the Philistines are here. Really? This is, and then he breaks them, and, and, and I just want to say, Samson, let's just look at what's going on here. The girl asks you how to hurt you. You, you lie to her, but she acts on the lie you want to connect the dots here? No, let's just keep going. Okay. Verse 7, verse 10. And then the same thing. How can you be bound? Well, seven new ropes that haven't been used. So she does that. And then she's like, Samson, the Philistines. And he breaks the ropes and he still doesn't connect the dots. And then verse 13 and on. Weave seven locks of my head, of my hair with this and fasten it to uh, with a pin. And then she does the thing same And he just pulls the pin out and and um, meanwhile, this whole time, this is, in the, this is in the house because it's in the inner chamber of the bedroom. There, there is kind of an intimate scene there. They're in the bedroom, and she's doing all this. And each time, he, um, he gets away, and he just, just breaks free. But the Philistines are probably around the corner in the family room, listening, waiting until it's going to work, right? And so finally, verse 15 and 16 I verse 16, she pressed him so hard with words day after day, she urged him, his soul was vexed to death. Vexed is a word we don't use much. I, I encourage you, try to use that word, it's just fun, vexed. Anyway, except it's kind of a negative thing, it means annoyed to death, right? Anyway, so he's annoyed to death, and so he can handle anything except a um, complaining, pressing woman, and that seems to be his his uh, his weakness, right? But I'm looking at this going, how can he be so blind? He's, now remember, he sees a woman, I want her. He sees this, I want her. And now he's blind to the reality of his own addiction. And this is addiction. Addiction takes you to a dark little world where you think you're in control, but you are completely not in control. And so he's blind to his calling in life, he's blind to the reality of his sexual addiction. And, um, that's where this next slide. This is an amazing article from a magazine I, I get called Salvo. It's on s- uh, s- sex, society, and science from a Christian perspective. Very, very, very interesting. But listen to this. This is this is um, it's the story of the gypsum moth. The gypsy moth, 1869. The gypsy moth was brought into America, and then at 150 years it just devoured. Oak, maple, and elm trees, until the 1960s when scientists figured out that um, the males followed the scent of the females, and that's how they reproduced and destroyed all the trees, all right? And so um, they did two things. They, they, they either trapped them, which is like Samson's story, or they confused them, and this is how they would do it. Uh, it's called pheromone. It's that scent, Right? It's that scent that uh, the males would scent the woman with a pheromone and then be attracted to her. So they would just, out of airplanes, throw out these little tiny pellets with pheromones with, with the scent and so overload the area with strong scent of the females that the males just, they, they were confused. They, they couldn't find the females because there's, you know, scents everywhere, the same, the same scent. So they were confused and, and couldn't find the females, couldn't reproduce, and so they died. The other thing is the trapping method, where you put the pheromones in a trap, and they go in, and they don't come out. They die. And this is the addict of Samson. He is pursuing the pheromone of sexual satisfaction with Delilah, and he goes in, and there's a trap, and he is not going to come out. So this whole article is arguing that porn is a visual pheromone. It is a drug, a, a physical. It, it creates physical drugs in our bodies, and um, it is addicting and so i couldn't help but th- look at Samson's behavior and i go dude you are just like this gypsy moth you're you're blind to reality you're in an addictive pattern and as you watch his behavior it gets it gets stupider and stupider and stupider and bolder and bolder and bolder right and, and we're like we're in the grand sense of like going no but he just keeps doing it so um, anyway okay so uh, verse 18 Oh, verse 17, he finally told her everything in his heart. No razor's ever come on my head. I'm supposed to be a Nazarite, supposed to, you know, do all this stuff. Verse 18, Delilah saw he had told her everything in his heart. She calls the Philistines, likely close by. Come again, he's told me all his heart. They came up, brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and true or false, she cut his hair. Cuidados, amigo. Delilah had never cut Samson's hair. Everybody thinks, even, here, check this out, Lucas Cronach. Who's cutting his hair? Delilah. Now, what's wrong with this picture? Well, other than the whole Elizabethan thing, that's weird, right? I mean, the guy needs to take my backgrounds and cultures class. They don't dress like this. Anyway, um, but but Delilah doesn't cut the hair. And then, and then what about Rembrandt? Rembrandt? Now, I had to do some research in this because, because here's the scissors and here's a person holding hair, and I'm looking at this going, is is that supposed to be a woman? I mean, is it just me? But she's not especially beautiful. I don't know. I don't want to be unkind, but I'm like, I couldn't tell. Is that a servant or is that supposed to be the girl? In the text, look at the text. And she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Delilah doesn't cut the hair. She gets a servant to do it. So, you know, this is just art, Let it go. It's okay, right? Just, it's art representing a story. I'm just trying to help. One, seriously, I want you, when you read scripture, read critically, and and, and you read about a fresh job, and you're like, hang on here. Why is that mentioned? And you know what I mean? Little things sometimes are very, very important. So, whatever. We'll move on here. But, um, so, Delilah. Delilah lures Israel's leader to his death. Whereas before, Jael. Remember, tent peg? She lured the foreign leader to his death. So things have so turned, right? Because of they've forgotten the covenant. Now their own leaders are being, um, they're, they're, they're in a 4 fog, and they can't, can't see straight. And then look at this next, where I'm in verse 19, the last part. Then she began to torment him. <laughs> wow, okay. And his strength left him. And she shouted like she did, you know, before. The Philistines are here, and... This is super sad. He says, I'll go out as I did before, verse 20. Look at the last part of verse 20. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. That is sad. They seized him, gouged out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza. Instead of enjoying the prostitute, now he's bound with bronze shackles, grinding mill at the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved so samson's name means sunlike like light and his life ends in darkness he's he's blinded he he used to be a prisoner of what he saw and now he's a prisoner of what he can't see he's literally blind but god is faithful and even with a train wreck like this god's hands are not tied but his hair grow and god's faithfulness to the the covenant in Israel is going to come in, even with a train wreck like Samson, and his hair grows as a reminder that it's covenant faithfulness that is so important. here. Hair, okay? So that's what's going on, that's what's going on here, and um, I, I love that because of God's grace. Now it goes on in verse twenty three. Look what they say. The Philistines say, "Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands." Verse twenty four. They praised their God, for they said, our God has given our enemy into our hands, the the ravager of our country who's killed many of us. Twice, the Philistine perspective is a spiritual, theological statement. Our God is better than their God. That's what they're saying. Do you think God is going to sit in the heavens and go, "Mm, hmm, whatever? No, not so much. God isn't going to come in here and go, yeah, this is not just about political freedom or physical suffering. This is a theological statement. And so God is going to take that challenge. And um, while his hair grows, he is going to move through with deliverance. So God is not just rescuing them from physical oppression. He's rescuing them from idolatry. But they never get that picture, right? Verse 25. Their hearts are merry with wine call samson he may entertain us they called samson out of prison that he and he entertained them uh don't have time for that word there but that word is loaded man it it he makes a, some kind of culturally obscene gesture very very awkward here that that, that israel's deliver is doing something that we would blush right i don't know what it is it, it doesn't say but it's 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 awkward all right in his last days verse 26 he says, to, he's blind. He's man, let me fill the pillars. And he puts his hand on the pillars and um, cries out to the Lord. Look at verse 28. This is the best prayer that he's prayed and the worst. He's only prayed like twice, right? But look at this. Called out to the Lord and he said, oh, Lord, please remember me. And I'm like, okay, dude, I'm not the one that's forgotten anything hey, hello, I've been here the whole time. Look at your whole life. I've been around. I'm involved. But from his perspective, oh, you've forgotten me because of my plate, my <laughs> Right? This would be funny if, if it weren't so familiar, right? It's, it's our experience, right? We, we do some stupid things, and like, the Lord doesn't love me. He's not good. And, and right? Maybe, maybe that's just me. Okay, you guys, are, you guys are more spiritual. That's okay. But anyway, we, we find ourselves in a situation where we, we create our own mess and then we doubt God's goodness because of whatever. And we just have to go back to the truth, to God's word, to his character. And he says, please remember me. That's a great prayer. But look at his reason. That I may be avenged. On the Philistines. Now, now this is going to be kind of comical, but if you're God, what do you do with that, right? You're like, oh, remember, he's finally coming back to the covenant. He's coming back to me, and then so that I may be avenged. And you're like, no, that's not how I work. And I'm just kind of, you know, playing with that idea there a little bit. But um, God's not confused about what to do. He's He's faithful. So He answers the spiritual um, prayer, and He puts His hands there, and He uh, pushes out the pillars. And here's a here's an archaeological dig. That they found, And it is interesting that archaeologically the Philistines, the, um, they would have like a stone floor and beneath the stone floor there would be these two big round supports like foundation stones and then you'd have the floor and on top of those, on top of the floor with those underneath it would be the main pillars of the temple or building. And so seriously, if you just pushed the pillars off to the side and so all the weight of the whole structure would, would slide off that, the whole thing comes down. Okay, so it's kind of neat archaeologically. That's just what's going on. Anyway, so this, this is not about Samson's success. It's not about his failure. It's about God's faithfulness. Samson's not, we don't have this, we don't have these four chapters to learn something about Samson like, you know, don't run after Delilah. Okay, well, probably wise there, but the point of the story is God. God is the hero. He is faithful, all right? So why do we have this story in the Bible? Because it highlights God's faithfulness. Um, and why do we have this story? Because it also is guiding us towards the need for a king. I mean, what a better way. Those seven cycles, what a better way to end it than, than smoke and rubble of the nation in, in complete chaos because you're trying to convince the people we need a godly king. I mean, A plus for organizing your, your content this way, right? Because you get to the end and you're like, I'm sold. You guys are really, really jacked up here. You need a king. You get it. it it's powerful, all right? So they need a king. So this, this is the destination of the author to take you on this ride to show you we start with Othniel and Ehud and good things are happening and then we get to we get to Gideon and we get to Abimelech and it just gets worse and worse and worse until you're this and you're scratching your head and you just wait because uh, in a couple weeks when we finish this up chapter 17 to 21 it's just dark gruesome rated r for sure and by that point if you don't understand Israel needs a king what have you been doing okay anyway It's pretty straightforward so here's the deal in those days there was no king everyone did what was right in his own eyes we talked about eyes last week it looks good to my eyes she looks good in my eyes we're doing what we want we don't think we need God we've forgotten his covenant As as a nation this really applies we've forgotten his covenant we're doing what seems good to us and the consequences are just hitting are just hitting right and people are in denial, and people are running to, you know drugs and everything. Whatever it is, cover it up. But that's right where we are. So, application. Because God is faithful, we should remember to live according to our sacred status. Samson had a sacred status as a Nazarite, and he forgot that. Scripture is full of admonitions. Flee sexual immorality, right? Because of who you are, your, your, your body is a temple, and collectively we're the temple of God. This is where he resides, right? Who we are, our status matters, okay? And, and because God is faithful, remember to die to ourselves. Philippians 2, Jesus emptied himself for for you and for me. He is our model, right? So our own should take second place to his agenda. And then because God is faithful, remember to let God be the avenger. And that's really hard because there's this weird, deep, visceral anticipation of satisfaction when you think about getting revenge. And like Samson, it, is it satisfying? You're never done. It's not, it doesn't quite satisfy, right? And so um, interesting guy, Samson, right? So God is faithful his faithfulness is to be our motivation for moving towards him not fear he he holds all the, the goodness remember uh psalm sixteen eleven. in his presence is fullness of joy and if we would just start to question the purposes of the culture and move towards him because of his goodness we would find great joy Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this strange, dark story. Um, We certainly can pick up some tidbits about what to do and what not to do, but ultimately we back up and we're just amazed at your faithfulness. There there, there seems to be no hope, no way out for the nation under the leadership of Samson, but you were seeking to uh, an occasion against the Philistines, and you came through as you always do. You can contend. You can show up. Baal can't show up. The Philistine gods can't deliver. It's you who are powerful, and, and may you speak to each of us in our culture with our own temptations, with our own idols. May, may, may we see clearly your goodness and beauty and be moved to just be compelled to draw towards you out of, out of the security that you provide through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen.